A reading from Genesis, beginning with the 27th chapter and the 41st verse. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sat and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite woman. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram to the house of Beth Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Almighty God bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be a become a company of peoples. May he give you the blessings of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojourning so that, that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padam Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down at that place, in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold... The Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke, awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east, as he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and put the stone back, on the, back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? 
they said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than, than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one. We will give you to the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also. And he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me 
because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name will be called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her, so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as, his wife, as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore jo Jacob a son. And Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother, Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you also take my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, then may he lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Ishkar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with good endowment. Now my husband will honor me, because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dina. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. The word of the Lord. I speak to you in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, when I last preached to you two weeks ago, we looked at... The passages from Genesis on the early life of Jacob. And you may recall that when his mother Rebekah was pregnant with him, with him and his twin brother Esau, the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and the one shall be stronger than the other, but the older shall serve the younger. 
Well, of course, Jacob turned out to be the younger as he emerged from his mother's womb second after his twin brother Esau, but emerged grasping at his brother Esau's heel. So his name, Jacob in Hebrew, meant one who takes by the heel, which, as we said, was actually a euphemism for someone who's a cheat. And cheating would turn out to be Jacob's mode of living, as we saw him cheat his brother Esau first out of his birthright as the firstborn. Esau was due a double portion of the inheritance. So Jacob cheated him out of that and later cheated Esau out of the paternal blessing that was due to him by deceiving their father Isaac. Well, today, with our extra-long lesson from Genesis, we picked up just where we last left off, as Jacob, Jacob's brother Esau wants to kill him for cheating him twice. So at his mother Rebekah's urging, Jacob flees for his life, and his father Isaac directs Jacob specifically to go and seek a wife, and to seek a wife in the land of his kin from his mother's family. So Jacob leaves with his father blessing him once again. But as Jacob heads north on what would be about a month-long journey of 550 miles, about three or four days into that journey, the Lord himself appears to Jacob in a dream. And in an episode that could itself be the focus of a sermon, God personally promises to bless Jacob beyond his wildest imagination. Look with me at chapter 28, verse 13. There God says to Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. Well, that's an amazing promise from God. But to this point, the most significant, most significant episodes from Jacob's life had revealed that Jacob functionally believed that he was the only one looking out for him. So Jacob had felt compelled to try and create the blessed life for himself and to do it by any means necessary, including by manipulation and deception. However, this way of living had brought significant consequences into his life. For example, it's just caused him to have to flee from his family and home. But despite this, and despite what God has just promised him, we'll see that Jacob's faithlessness of trusting in himself alone would continue to dominate his decisions as he moves forward into this next stage of his life. As commentator Doug Bratt says, at this point Jacob is not only running for his life, he's running for a wife. So as he had journeyed for more than a month, Jacob had surely been imagining, even fantasizing about his future bride who she might be, what she might be like. And once Jacob comes into the land of his uncle Laban in chapter 29, portion of our passage, Laban's younger daughter Rachel is the first woman he sees. And Jacob is enraptured. So much that after feeding her flock, 
29 verse 11 says, Jacob then kissed Rachel and wept aloud. She doesn't even know who he is yet. Well, verse 17 will explain that Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance, in particular in contrast to her older sister Leah, whose eyes were weak, it says. The meaning of this word weak is somewhat ambiguous because it can mean weak, but it can also mean lovely or beautiful. But regardless, in Jacob's eyes, Leah doesn't hold a candle to Rachel, who has become the object of his desire. Having her is what Jacob believes will bring him happiness. But Jacob had left his father's home penniless. This means that he lacked any means to pay Rachel's bride price, which in those days would have been required to secure a wife, let alone support himself and a family. He has nothing. So after staying with his uncle Laban and working for him for a month, Jacob offers to work for Laban for seven years. This would give him a, help him to learn how to work to provide for himself. But this would also provide serve as payment for the bride price to marry Rachel. Laban at least seems to seems to agree to Jacob's offer, though if you read closely, his words are misleadingly ambiguous, we might say. But to us, seven years may seem like a long time for Jacob to have had to have wait, waited. But verse 20 says that the years flew by for Jacob because of his love for Rachel. But as clever and shrewd as Jacob had shown himself to be, for example, with his brother Esau, in his uncle Laban, Jacob has, had met his match. Because when it's time for the wedding, Laban brings his daughter Leah to marry Jacob instead of Rachel. Now, you may think, how could this pass? How could he have pulled this off? How could he have punked Jacob in this way? But in that culture, weddings would include a ritual meal followed by a public procession to the couples of the couple to the, their first home. This served as the equivalent of a modern-day honeymoon suite, and that was where, physically, the marriage was truly consummated, considered to be consummated. But the bride would remain veiled for all the public festivities up to that point, including the procession. So somewhere along the way, Laban switches Rachel with Leah. And scholars speculate that it may be assumed that the festivities had led Jacob to become drunk to the point of being unable to recognize the switch Laban had made. And so it is Leah who becomes Jacob's wife, which he doesn't really come to realize until the next morning. So the next morning, Jacob discovers what has happened, and he goes to Laban and says, What is this you've done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? But Laban replies that the custom in their country is that the younger daughter is not given a marriage before the older. And this was actually true. This was the practice of people in that region back then, and even some there in that area still today. This practice prevented the younger sister from shaming the older sister and ensured that the older sister wasn't bypassed and then never married, which would have left the family responsible for supporting her for her whole life. So one can't help but view, though, 
to view this as Jacob getting a taste of his own medicine, even down to the reminder that the firstborn had certain rights. But having planned for all of this, Laban is ready with a suggestion. He proposes that Jacob completes his week with Leah, and then if he'll work seven more years, Laban will let him marry Rachel as well, if he'll agree to work seven more years. And so Jacob now faces a choice. He could accept the measure he had given to his brother Esau was exactly the measure he had received back from Laban and sort of tip his cap to Laban, accept Leah as his wife, and move on. But Jacob can't imagine ever being happy with this hand that he's been dealt. I mean, for the past seven years, he's been convinced. He's convinced himself that marrying Rachel is what he has to have and what will make him happy. So after completing his marriage week with Leah, Jacob then marries Rachel also, having agreed to work another seven years for his uncle. Now one might be tempted to defend Jacob's holding out for Rachel. But even putting aside the issue of polygamy, we must be careful about projecting some of our, our 21st century sensibilities about romance and pursuing a spouse. We need to be careful not to project that onto the values of this ancient context. We also have to remember that the whole theme of the story of Jacob's life to this point, from the day he was born, the whole theme has been about him grasping for obtaining blessing and happiness for himself, securing it for himself rather than trusting God to bless him. So continuing in that pattern here by marrying Rachel and agreeing to work another seven years, Jacob bears the consequences of this way of living once again. While verse 30 says that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, the next verse explains that when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, the Lord opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. You can imagine the dynamic this created in the home. One scholar astutely observes that while the narrator of Genesis had said that the first seven years of Jacob working for his uncle had flown by, the scholar observes that no such mention is made about the Jacob's second year, a stint of seven years of working for Laban while being married to both of his daughters. And that's what being married to two sisters, especially when you despise one and the other struggles with infertility, that pretty much is going to guarantee a whole lot of drama. So despite bearing Jacob four sons, we're told, the first four sons Leah bears for Jacob, this does nothing to endear Leah to Jacob. But it certainly causes Rachel to envy her, enough to give Jacob compel her to give Jacob her maidservant Bilhah to conceive on her behalf. Then later on, we read that Jake, Rachel is so desperate to conceive that she agrees for Jacob to lie with Leah again in exchange for the mandrakes one of Leah's sons had harvested. In those days, mandrakes were thought to be an aphrodisiac. But this plan backfires on Rachel as well as Leah then conceives a sixth son and then a daughter. Only after that does verse 22 say that God remembered Rachel and opened her womb. 
And Rachel finally gives birth to the first of two sons. This first one she names Joseph. So Jacob didn't trust God to bless him. Instead, he had tried to secure the blessed life through what he imagined would make him happy. And once again, by doing this, this brought so much additional misery into his life. I mean, that sounds like a seriously dysfunctional household. And yet what Jacob did, Jacob's way of living, of trying to secure the blessed life through himself, through what he imagines is best, this is a temptation we're all prone to. Remember, Jacob represents all of us. And the, to, to that point, the blessing that God had pronounced over Jacob, well, that really is, we've really inherited the new covenant version of that blessing for all of us who have faith in Christ. The, God's promise to us through our faith in Christ is that he will be with us and keep us wherever we go that he will lead us into more and more of the kingdom life he's promised, that he'll finish what he's started in us, and that he'll never leave us nor forsake us, and that he will use us and our progeny to similarly bless others in ways that our minds can't even conceive. All those promises made to Jacob are in some ways the promises made to us. But like Jacob, what we so easily forget is that God promised to bestow blessings upon us, which means that we don't have to grasp for happiness everywhere through our own means. And yet the problem when we do get caught up in manufacturing blessing and happiness for ourselves is it leads us to focus on what we don't have, what we still want, that one next thing that'll make us happy. Just like for Jacob, it was Rachel, right? And in doing that, we can render ourselves blind to the blessing God's trying to give us or that he already has given us. You know, in the last sermon on Jacob, we talked about Esau representing who Jacob thought he had to be in order to be loved. Well, in this story of Jacob's pursuit of Rachel, Craig Barnes suggests that Rachel represents what we grasp for because we think it will make us happy where Leah represents how God desires to bless us. And this is supported in the story of Jacob even further if we look to the genealogy of Jesus, right? who comes some 1,800 years later, but through whom God ultimately fulfills those promises to Jacob. We find that Jesus did not come through either son of Rachel, through either of their lines. Even though Joseph... Rachel's first son would be Jacob's favorite, which leads to all sorts of problems, of course. And is Jacob repeating the sin of his father, right, of favoritism? And even though Joseph will be the primary focus of Genesis's final 14 chapters, our Lord Jesus would not come through his line, but rather would come through the line of Judah, the fourth son of Leah. Leah is our Lord Jesus Christ, great-great-great-great-grandmother, so many generations back, not Rachel. So if 
Rachel represents what we grasp for because we think it will make us happy, whereas Leah represents how God desires to bless us. Today, I want to invite us to take a moment to consider that, to examine our lives and consider what are we striving for or dreaming about these days? What are we placing our hope in, believing that it will bring us more happiness? If only this will happen, if only we get this. We can easily place our hope, for example, in a change of circumstance, especially right now. We may often find ourselves thinking, oh, if we only didn't have to be dealing with this COVID shutdown. Oh, if I didn't have to be quarantining here in my house right now. Or I've also pointed out many times how easily we confuse our contentment to some political figure or political outcome we hope for. But in addition to these things, this temptation that we are so susceptible to, to, to kind of grasp for what we think will make us happy, ignoring what God may have for us, this also applies, perhaps most of all, to our closest family relationships, such as with our children or parents or in our marriage. In marriage, so often the person we fall in love with is Rachel, but we marry Leah. Now, I'm not talking about that in the narrow sense of our spouse's physical appearance. That's a metaphor in the story, of course. Rachel, though, represents the idea of our spouse that we fell in love with, who we convinced ourselves that they were, or who we want, wanted or want them to be. But Leah represents who they actually are. Tim Keller writes that we never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person. Just give it a while, he says, and he or she will change. And so for those of us who are married or have been married, one way or another, the day inevitably comes when we wake up and wonder, sort of like Jacob, who is this person I married, that I'm married to? Keller explains, over the years, we'll go through seasons in which we have to learn to love a person we didn't marry, who is something of a stranger to us because people change. And so like Jacob, when we find ourselves in that place, we're faced with a choice. We could choose like Jacob did and continue to chase a fantasy by, by trying to change our spouse. And remember, this applies to our kids or other family relationships too. Change them into who we want them to be. Convinced that our life will be blessed if they will just do this or if they will just be this way. It'll make everything better, we tell ourselves. Of course, doing this, attempting this, is actually counterproductive and makes things worse, brings a lot of misery into to our lives. Why? Because it'll only make the other person feel more insecure as we try to change them, to feel like they have to walk on eggshells and pretend. And so like Jacob, when we seek to manufacture blessing for ourselves apart from God and his ways, we're actually inviting greater misery into our lives. But our other option, of course, instead of approaching our lives, thinking always about what we don't have, about how things aren't the way we want them to be, the other approach is to seek to be content with what we have, 
and to seek to accept who our loved ones are at that moment. Seek God's help to accept who they are right now. You know, if Jacob had sought to do this when he woke up next to Leah, I know that's kind of unimaginable, but just go with me. If Jacob had sought to do this and thought, well, this is the situation and this is who I'm married to. If he had sought to get on board with that and sought God's help for his heart to be changed toward that, he would have saved himself a lot of misery and heartache. We may say, well, we can't control how we feel. And that's right, which is why we need the Lord, why Jacob needed the Lord. Because to love Leah would have required that he repent of his idolatry of Rachel and recognize that that belief he had that being married to Rachel would fill his cup, recognize that for the lie it was. And the same goes for us. How do we become more content with the blessings we have? How do we become more accepting of the circumstances we're living in or the people we love? we have to recognize that the Lord Jesus is the only one who can really ever fill our cup, who can really make us feel good about ourselves. As, as Barnes writes, we have only one Savior. No one else, no matter how made to fantasy he or she may first appear, Barnes writes, no one else can meet your needs. God alone can save us from loneliness, can repair our broken self-esteem, and allow us to stand in the world as one who is good enough. End quote. So only when we come to rest in God's love will we ever be free to love others as the flawed individuals they are, as everybody is. Otherwise, we're going to be constantly rejecting who they are, trying to change them, and making matters worse. So perhaps this unlocks the mystery of the ambiguous way Leah is described in 29.17. Our translation says weak, weak eyes, but it's confusing to scholars because there's actually more evidence that the meaning of that Hebrew word there is a positive word. For example, the, the New Revised Standard Version translates it as lovely, but the tension being communicated in that Hebrew ambiguity is that Jacob was, was unable to accept the parts of Leah that weren't to his preference. And therefore, he wasn't able to see any of her beauty, physical or otherwise, right? Her beauty in the Lord, you might say. And yet there are indications that over the years, that changed. That over the years, God changed Jacob's heart to perceive Leah differently and to recognize her for the blessing from God that she was. See, it turns out that Leah, Leah is actually the wife whom Jacob chooses to bury in the family plot with his grandparents, Abraham and Sarah, and his parents, Isaac and Rebekah the end of her life. He chooses to bury Leah there, not Rachel. And this ending should be cause for us to hope, to hope that no matter how misdirected our hearts may be right now or at any given time, 
that God can change them. God can change us if we'll allow him. In fact, that's what he's waiting so eagerly to do if we'll ask, to help us find our rest in him and receive the blessings in the life that he, the author of our salvation, intends for us to have. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.